From time to time, I meet somebody who has special insights on leadership in an NGO context. Insights that make me sit up straight, that educate me and make me rethink, as Adam Grant, the American organizational psychologist, would call it. John Samuel, Asia Regional Director at Oxford International, is one such person. When I interacted with John during a recent consulting assignment with Oxfam, as I was struck how insightful he was about topics such as how to build credibility, trust, but also influence within complex NGOs such as Oxfam. This is what we take up in this interview. Listen in to this very special episode. Hello, and welcome to NGO Soul and Strategy, the podcast for NGO leaders and managers who look change right in the eye. My name is Tosca Bruno van Vijwijken, and I'm the founder and principal consultant at Five Oaks Consulting. I have over three decades of experience helping leaders in civil society manage change, investing cutting edge leadership development, lead organizational culture change, and strengthen effectiveness. I'm also a thought leader on these issues, including as co-author of the book, Between Power and Irrelevance, The Future of Transnational NGOs, which is read by civil society leaders across the globe. If you are such a leader and want to look change right in the eye, this podcast is for you. Hello, listeners. This is NGO Soul and Strategy, and I'm Tosca, the host. I met John Samuel, the regional director for Oxfam Asia, most recently during a consulting assignment that uh, I, together with another consultant, did for Oxfam. And I was struck by how insightful John was about many subjects including how to build credibility, trust, and influence within NGOs and within Oxfam particularly, how to maneuver what I call politically with a small p, and I'll explain in a moment what I mean by that in an NGO setting. So I decided to interview John so we can all learn from his perspectives. In this episode, you will hear me refer to the term leadership from a political frame, By this, and again, this is politics with a small p, it's about the reality that every organization, amongst others, is also a jungle or an arena in which people jockey for power, for influence, where they negotiate, where they form informal coalitions to influence a, a certain internal decision, where they seek access to top decision makers to have influence and where they engage in bartering or persuasion behind the scenes. I experienced time and time again in uh, leadership development programs that some NGO leaders and managers resist this notion that this lens on leadership is an important one amongst many other lenses. They either think it's not entirely uh, moral or that it's not relevant in the NGO sector. And certainly there are also gender dimensions to that. Yet, 
I see it being exercised every day and I would not expect anything less. So I beg to differ with those people. This is one of the things that I suspect that John has a lot of good insights about. So let's go. So welcome, John. Thank you. Thank you, Tosca. It's going to be it's going to be really fun. This I know it. So John Samuel is the regional director for Oxfam Asia since mid 2022. Do I have that right? No, since early 2022. Early 2022. He's also. I can Okay. He's the former president of the Institute for Sustainable Development and Governance, former president of Transcivic, former president of the National Center for Advocacy Studies, and was also the CEO of Forum Asia, the Asia Forum for Human Rights and Development and an international consulting advisor at UNDP. And John, let me just ask you, the last couple of institutions that I mentioned, are they all uh, India-founded organizations or not all of them? Internationally, you know, uh, Forum Asia is uh, Geneva-based with a big presence in Asia. It's the largest membership-based organization. And with the UNDP, I was the head of the global program. I was not, you know, I was also an international advisor, but large, I was the director and head of the global program on governance assessment mm-hmm. and democratic governance uh, advisor based in New York. Okay, got it. Thanks for giving a little bit more background. So let's start, John, first by asking you, how did your leadership path unfold inside of NGOs, but also outside. So rather than going through your bio, tell me a little bit how you feel it evolved over time. You know, the I had the privilege to work in India in the early 90s with some of the best leaders of the times hmm. uh, in, a, in an organization, National Center for Advocacy Studies, set up by the former Chief Justice of India. Uh, uh, you know, the best writer of India, uh, you know, the, 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 the most prominent social civil society leaders. I see. So this was the National Center of Advocacy Studies. And I did my advocacy fellowship in the U.S. And David Cohen, uh, who was the president of Common Cause ah. and uh, also the president of the Advocacy Institute of Washington, was amended to me internationally. So I have learned about leadership by observing people, mm-hmm. practicing, and how power operates uh, differently in different contexts. Because uh, organizations are about people, systems, and power. And when they are in harmony, organizations work very well. Mm. Um, so that's one of the reasons I made. And external notion of politics as a student leader in my, uh, you know, early uh, university days, I have been in the process of mobilizing, organizing people. And pretty early, I was a part of a social movement, which of which I was the president. It's the largest social movement in India, mm. 300,000 members. Which is a Gandhian organization. So my understanding with larger social movements, civil society organizations, political parties, uh, you know, and then organization is an understanding of how people 
power organization culture you know interact very differently in different contexts mm. interesting very interesting and it immediately explained how you learned some of the skills that i uh, heard you talk about in our interview from the very beginning and from the best um, kind of sources I just want to, for a moment, before we dive deeper into your leadership and uh, the issues of power, influence, persuasion, etc., um, let's talk about Oxfam for a moment at this moment in time. Right now, and candidly, what are you most excited about in Oxfam at the moment when it comes to strategy, internal changes, culture, you name it? The Oxfam's the most exciting story about Oxfam is the story of Oxfam itself. Mm. See, the thing is, uh, in 1942, uh, in a winter evening on October 5th, eight young people got together and they said, you know, the youngest was 22 years old, and they said something needs to be done about this world. Uh, there was famine in the most difficult times in the history of the world in 1942 in Oxford. And that's how the story began, Oxford Famine Relief Committee. And many people may not know one of the serial entrepreneurs of the world who is not very well known, but he made a big change happen is Cecil Jackson Cole, whose uh, shop where the first Oxford Famine Relief Committee was formed, you know, recycling the, uh, the the clothes. Yeah. Now he went ahead building a business, and in 1972 he created Action Aid International. Later on, he helped the age. So you know, you have young people transforming the world. So even now, when you really look at Oxfam, Oxfam has been ahead of the curve. Some of the biggest movements in the, in Asia, for example, BRAC, Bangladesh Rural Action Committee, which is now the largest NGO in terms of number of staff, mm-hmm. uh, in the 72, Oxfam funded it. Mm. The largest cooperative in the world uh, is Amul in India, which led the, what you call, white revolution, the milk, milk revolution. Today, India is the largest milk producing country. And um, you know, 50, 60 years ago, we were one of the poorest countries, uh, least, and Oxfam funded Amul. I see. Interesting. So the point about it is Oxfam touched Oxfam touch lives, Oxfam touched movements, and the most difficult times, natural disasters, Oxfam is there. Uh, uh, in the most historic moment in many countries in the world, Oxfam is there. And... More than the, the most exciting thing about Oxfam is it's a feminist organization. It says the feminist principles. So it's transforming power is one of the fundamental things about Oxfam. Second thing about it is in the world, if you're talking about poverty and inequality, Oxfam has, the, has been influencing the discourse. You Google anywhere on inequality, Oxfam is there. Because yes. Oxfam is there. Online, but Oxfam is there offline. Oxfam is working with millions of people in more than ninety-two countries, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. its its excitement is where. What is Oxfam? Is you know the people around three million people who support Oxfam. 
it's it's our partners across the world and millions of people with whom we work outside uh, and the staff oxfam is not just a staff on the board it is it is it's a larger idea that you can make change happen in the world through solidarity feminist principles and oxfam is now right. one of the most diverse organizations in the world mm, yes that that too equally candidly what are you either most concerned or worried about in oxfam at the moment what is most difficult or challenging or, or even annoying about working in oxfam at the moment you know there's nothing annoying about working in oxfam to be honest i'm excited about working in oxfam and what what we need to do is in the post covid world the world is uh, uh, the, the direction of the world is quite ambivalent so there is a multiple uh, you know issues uh, economic political and environmental so for oxfam one of my major concern is oxfam has been so far one of the most adaptive organizations how do you strategically adapt second thing is oxfam is in a journey where we would like to have many of the earlier oxfam affiliates moving into independent oxfam affiliates in asia africa latin america so that it becomes a true global you know uh, confederation truly global confederation both financially uh, sustainable organizations the third is we need how do we really work with young people you know the point about within our staff within our you know larger staff you know in terms of our strategy all those things are some of the challenges in a changing world okay Okay. Um what does it take to uh be an effective leader in a place like Oxfam really? I mean in reality not formally, right? And within that context, what does it take to develop relationships of trust? See, Oxfam is in a way we people use complex because uh, three reasons. It has multiple histories. um you know because different oxfam has different dnas mm. of uh, you know uh, if you look at indomon oxfam indomon it has a different history dna oxfam netherlands otherwise norwich it has a different history oxfam australia was communicated abroad it has a different history so oxfam uh, dna comes from different parts yeah well said this is a confederation with multiple systems multiple histories and uh, you know multicultural thing at the core yeah so oxfam has become multicultural only in the last 10 15 years in terms of its staff its leadership etc right because the affiliates in europe and the affiliate in australia etc has different history and mostly those people in the in those countries manage the cotton good country program that's changing that's changing i mean oxfam is today led by a woman i'm very proud of the fact that and uh, oxfam's uh, executive leadership we are more women than men mm. so this was this was not the case 10 or even 15 years i know this organization 
So it's evolving. When it's evolving, there are complexities because people come from different culture. People, they come from different history. There are people who have been working in Oxfam for 25 years or more. So, and, you know, entrance cultures. So it's a complex organization. Yeah. With multiple systems and trying to sort of work. I mean, I'm not going to say it is a functioning anarchy. It is a functioning, um, you know, multicultural, multi-systemic confederation. It's a work in progress. So when it's a work in progress, you need to negotiate multiple systems, multicultural, multiple assumptions, different kinds of people. So I always felt, you know, while organizations are sustained by system, they are driven by people. Yes. So, yeah. So, you know, so sometimes organizations make people slaves of the system. Mm-hmm. Such organizations become like Remington typewriter, you know, because it becomes obsolete. Uh, organizations which adapt its software and hardware. You know, the software of Oxfam has changed. We don't have any office, regional office. People work from multi-country. So I live, I work from a very, relatively a remote village. You know, I am um, I am just talking to you from a village in, you know, um, southern India. Right. From but from sitting here, I'm not only managing the Asia, but I'm I'm a part of the global leadership team. So it's possible now. Yes. So Oxfam has adapted very fast. We had a regional center with around 37 staff staying in Bangkok a few years. Now we don't have a regional office. Yeah. yeah. So the point about it is this is one classic example of this organization. It's an evolving organic organization. Uh, that is also the interesting thing. Yes. Having said this, how does it work when you have multiple systems? Once you know the drivers of the system and you have an understanding of the system, how it operates, then it's possible to drive the system. So, you know, it's like, you know, learning to ride a bicycle, learning to buy a motorbike, Learning to buy a, buy a car and a truck. You know, some you have to all those do. You have yeah. to do it. Sometimes it is riding a cycle. Sometimes yeah. you have to, uh, you know, drive a heavy duty vehicle. So if you know all these drivers, right, and if you know how they drive, then it's easy to negotiate the system. And this is not just about people and power. This is about culture. You know, in a multicultural organizations, there are different assumptions we have about people, especially when you work dif- differently and distance from a distance. So that's that's the point. You know, you understand the people. Where do they come from? And what is the power which they drive? And what kind of system is operating? Once you know that, mm-hmm. you negotiate. You know, it's very important to have empathy in leadership. You know, we... You know, the trouble in all leadership is when we have a temptation to measure everybody with your own, you know, uh, measuring scale. Mm. Actually, we need to really don't use any measuring scale. 
Understand where do people come from? Why they people say? And then you work through that lens. Then you create what you call a communicative uh, network. Mm-hmm. When a community communicative network happens, you instead of sending twenty five emails, you spend one hour, one minute chat. Things get solved. Right, right. And I remember you talking about that in our interview as as well. Um, let me turn us now towards. Um, Yeah, because just maybe to finish on the point that you just said, one thing, for instance, amongst other things that you said in the interview several months ago that struck me that you said, relationships drive organizational systems, not the other way around. And it sounds so obvious, but I had a sense, and you've just been showing some of that, that you have a fairly sophisticated and complex understanding of that. Is there anything else you want to say around the fact that... um it, relationships drive organizational systems, not the other way around. Or do you feel you've covered that? See, towards the end of the day, the alpha and omega of this planet is about the people. You know, mm-hmm. every organization is organisms. Mm-hmm. That they are living beings. Right. That is why we use the word organization. It comes from, <laughs> or, you know, it's Good organic. Point. Mm-hmm. Organizations are organic. And there's a difference between the term institutions are primarily about systems. Organizations are about human beings because it has a life. So any system, now we are going to, in the new world, we are going to have AI, right? You know, many of our tasks will be reduced. But towards the end of the day, human beings by definition is relational. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, because I'm John. Because there is a Thomas, there is a Krishna. You're Tosca because there is a Grace. So we are relational because our very identity is relational. Yeah, uh, human beings are defined by relation. That's the first thing. So in organization, as I said, the drivers of the system. You know, you have a fantastic car, right? Uh, but if you don't have a fantastic driver, that car will crash. Right. Right. So somebody who's a very good driver, but they don't know the map, the car will get lost. So the, the most important thing about everything is people. As you may have the best of system, can be made worse by people who do not know how to drive the system. Mm-hmm. So the relationships is important because leadership is about language. You know? Tell me more and about that. Leadership is about language? It's about language. Yeah. Leadership is all about language. Because human beings are different from other species because of the creative views of language. You look at every history of the world, it's a language that defines you. Is a language which connects you. It's a language which transforms you. It is every action is a communicative action. Mm-hmm. Every act is a speech act, which you say, I inaugurate this meeting. Right? So it's not you are not really inaugurating, you just say inaugurate. Same way, organizations are driven by language, mm-hmm. the strategies, the, the lingo, 
you know, every time if you really look at the life cycle of organizations, the lingo change. Yes. Everything earlier, what you call development was in the 80s was very different from what you call development. You know, 20 years, if you say feminist principles, people say it is Greek. What is it? Now it has become a commonplace. People understand what are the 12 principles. Uh -huh. so the point about leadership is about language. And language is about relationship. And once you know the language, you know the person. And this is also very interesting in organizations like Oxfam because it's multilingual. Yeah. So somebody who speaks uh, Spanish and somebody who speaks Hindi or somebody who speaks, you know, English. So most of us in Oxfam today who work, English is a second language. Mm -hmm. So the language has many, many dimensions. So the point I'm making is once you know the language, you know where the person comes from, what that person needs, if you carefully look at it, then you, it is easy to connect the relationship. For example, you know somebody who's using a patriarchal language, you know, and you know that, that that language itself defines that person. You know that there's a person who speaks very inspiring language, his transformative language. So that's what matters in, in relationships. In organizations, if you mm. know, I've written a piece on language and leadership. Mm. So this is fundamental. That was the lessons I learned in 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 leadership. Mm. Second thing is uh, one more point: leadership is by demonstrating. Mm. It's not only speaking. Speaking is good, mm. but you don't demonstrate by you know by, by being humble, by listening. So then, that's how you build up relationship. Right by modeling. Mm -hmm. Yes. By legitimacy, you know, because people come to you because legitimacy is a function of integrity, uh, power, and, uh, you know, uh, relationship. Interesting. Inter legitimacy is about integrating power and relationships. I'm going to turn now to the topic of power, influencing, uh, and um, in inside organizations and uh, some examples of what some um, conceptual uh, frameworks about leadership call the political frame. So this again, this is the political with a small p. So what I want to do, John, is mention some specific political tactics for intra-organizational political maneuvering, negotiation, bartering, influencing, etc., and ask you to comment on those where you feel you have observed it or you have practiced it. Where you haven't, we just move on. So a lot of people think that to maneuver with influence in an organization like an NGO is you have to use rational persuasion. Sometimes I think that that is actually over overrated. What do you think? See. There is a famous saying by Saul Alinsky, uh, you know, a community mobilizer. Power is not what you have, what others perceive you have. So power, by definition, is relation. In one context, you will be extremely empowered. In another context, you will be extremely disempowered. So if I am in a community where most of those people speak Greek, I will be disempowered. So the power is 
you know, about perceptions. Power is about context. Power is about language. So the point about it is, so in an organizational context, mm. there is an organizational jargon, lingo, uh, the terms. You know, Oksana, when I came, anytime when I go to UN, I was I worked in the UN system. Yeah. The first two months I was learning the abbreviations. So in Oxfam, we call it COP. COP means country operational plans, right? Yeah. But others will say you you are a cop. That means you're policing. So the point about it is that's again, you know, every organization has its culture. Yeah. Its behavior, organizational behavior. Yeah. So within that, you don't need to the, the term manuring has sometimes a negative and it's manuring has two meanings. If you are a driver, if you if you manuers, the the, the vehicle don't clash. Right. So you you, you manual a, a bend very carefully. So sometimes you need to manual. But more the more of your influencing is always a function of your credibility, uh, integrity. So I'm saying that integrity of relationship is fundamental. So when people know this person is genuine, when this person is uh, truthful, this person is not working for his or her, you know, trumpet. Right. I'm gonna I'm 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 gonna interrupt for a moment and challenge one thing that you just said. See what you think. I, if I heard you right, John, you said just now. You said influencing is always a function of your integrity. Is that really always the case, or are there not exceptions? There are other sources of influence that have nothing of to do with integrity. Yeah. From a larger P, those who control money those who control the system, those who control the technology has exactly. power over. Power over right? Yeah. Now, why US is more powerful? Why, why in Oxfam or ActionAid, why the European affiliates or American affiliates are more powerful? Because simply because they have money. Yes. But that is one way of understanding power. But understanding influencing what you call, it requires integrity, imagination, and legitimacy. And, you know, if you look at all these things are function of politics. Legitimacy is about power, you know. It's about, you know, the first question in ING world, if you, in the global south, in India, Bangladesh, they will challenge the legitimacy of international organization because they are powerful. Mm. They are powerful because you know, an issue which raised in Bangladesh can be can be spread into 100 countries within minutes. So there is an insecurity there, political insecurity, because, you know, you can make a statement on Bangladesh sitting in UN, uh, you know, Oxfam, UN person, or, you know, in the World Bank, or somewhere else it has implications, or in the media, or in the BBC, or CNN. Now, because of that, they question the legitimacy, saying mm. that these are outsiders' interests. And hence, you know, the, those who work for Bangladesh, Oxfam, or other NGO, they are from the country with a lot of credibility and legitimacy. It's very difficult to make them uh, question their legitimacy. Yeah. 
because within the country, they would say that, you know, you are not really, and earlier that was a problem. Like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, mm-hmm. most of the country directors of INGOs were white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. Yes. And, and women. Mm-hmm. And they always felt they know the best for this thing. Mm-hmm. The times have gone because yeah. the civil society has been politicized. The politics has been, you know, conscious about the influence of the civil society. So then they delegitimize. You say, you know, we don't need advice from somebody from Europe or America. Right. Thank you very much. Now Oxfam, all of the organizations are led by. They even have Indian Oxfamis, Oxfam India, mm-hmm. right? So this shift, that's why there's a legitimacy is a function of power mm-hmm. and perception of power. So mm-hmm. that, and then when you have integrity, you spend the money which you are supposed to do it. So our business of raising money and spending money is based on integrity. And our, our, our work is based on influencing, is based on a sense of imagination, network and language. Let me ask you a couple of about a couple of other political tactics uh, within within the the time span that we have left. So um, informal coalition formation is one I mentioned it in the beginning. In other words, using the assistance of others or noting their support to persuade your target of persuasion to comply with a, or to um, to join in embraces a desired goal. There is a tactic of uh, ingratiating, so using praise, flattery, friendly or helpful behavior to to persuade um, um, others. Um, There's the bartering that I mentioned before. You know, if I give you this, then will you give me, if I give you X, will you give me Y, etc.? So offering an exchange of benefits. Um, There is... Um, appealing upward, so um, referencing uh, using a formal appeal to a higher level in the organization of positional power to obtain their formal or or informal support. And there's what I see often is blocking. So trying to stop others in the organization from carrying out an action um, by um, by slowing down work or by invoking other forces. C- can you comment a little bit on the extent to which you've seen political tactics like that used in NGOs or other organizations, social movements where you've worked? The point about it is this is a typical American way of looking at it. Okay. Political taxes. You know, Gandhi was never taught any political taxes. He did it. Martin Luther did it. He did. is the most influential person in the world. So is uh, Mother Teresa. So is uh, these eight young people. So the point about it, I would rather look at it all philosophically. You know, the okay. point about it, there are two, two ways of looking at it. What do I get out of it? Then I need the political tactics. That means, as a regional director, I want X, Y, Z. Right? I want my budget to be more Increase. I need to have my influence increase. Right. Our country's this thing is uh, that is that is one way of behaviorist or even capitalist way. Uh, what do I get out of it? What kind of tactics I do? In my case, what can I do to make a difference? Now, this is a very fundamental worldview. You know, uh, 
Martin Luther said, what can I do? I have a dream. And I was ready to be killed, right? For that, because I believed it. Mm -hmm. Many of us, you know, I was an academic. When I chose this, it is true courage of conviction. It's the money didn't matter to me. I joined on the very less salary, working with grassroots movement, indigenous people. So Oxfam didn't drive me. I drive Oxfam because I come out with a larger worldview. I joined Oxfam because Oxfam uh, is fighting injustice, inequality, and poverty, right? And it's a feminist organization. It's a decolonized organization. It is in compatibility with my, my politics, larger P, not small P. Mm -hmm. Then the small P is too, it doesn't matter because I have a larger P. Now, within the organizations, one way of looking at it is maneuvering, influencing, you know, uh, having a beer, flattering. Another way of looking at it is, I said, is a philosophy of you have integrity of your worldview, you have integrity of leadership, you are truthful, you speak truth to power. There are such people are the one who made the organizations. So one of the reasons that I have not stayed in any organization for 25 years and I spared to become the CEO of that organization. You know, people like me are acquired managerial skill, but we have chosen a life, right, of conviction. So as a result of when I influence people is because I love people. I respect people. I have, I'm happy to listen to people. It's a part of the philosophy of life. It is not a tactics which I learn. You know, I praise somebody whom I don't respect. Mm -hmm. uh, I go and say, let's have a beer. And then I try to show, you know, what is the intelligence operations? Mm -hmm. And then say, how do I get into my next job? Mm -hmm. right? My next promotion. People like me, you know, I mean, I come from a very different conviction. That's why I work with the social movements and I work with all those things. I so, did, are you, yeah, yeah. So, so, John, are you saying um, that um, using the resources of, you mentioned integrity, truthfulness, conviction, and basically what I call principles, right? What you call the philosophical approach. Is that sufficient uh, in the range of organizations that you have worked in, that you mentioned at the very beginning, including in Oxfam at the moment, is that sufficient to exert leadership that uh, drives outcomes? And because what you said, what I get out of it, I didn't think you meant you personally from a personal benefits, but more for the things that I care about in the organization, right? Everybody has certain things they care about. So they are mission focused to some extent. They may have a mix in also of self-interest, whether that self is your unit, your team, your budget or yourself. Right. But are you saying that those principled um, um, factors of integrity, truthfulness, conviction, et cetera, are sufficient to both drive outcomes and to uh, get let's call it just simple, good work done. Because I, if that's what you're saying, I'm I'm having a hard time fully going with that. But I might be wrong, so, so persuade me. Tosca, you know, you have leadership. 
you have three kinds of people in your organization. One group of people are mission driven. Mm-hmm. All those eight people, because mm-hmm. they see the larger part of the world. That's what drives them, right? Some people are career driven. Some people are task driven, right? Mm-hmm. And all these are correct. And I'm saying that, you know, I would not judge anybody on the basis of this. Right. I myself consider a mission-driven person, right? Uh, not necessarily a career-driven person or necessarily a task-driven person. Task-driven, yeah. Okay. Then you have a leadership, which is macro, which is perspective, which is visionary, which is mobilizing, which is team-building, and management. You you have to have both capacity. Right. When, when you manage outcomes... When you lead with inspiration and vision, you transform the organizations without even them knowing that you transformed it. Mm-hmm. In my experience, in last 30 plus years, I transformed every single organization I work with. And my agenda is transformation. I am not really, that's one of the reasons that, you know, all the money, all the money I earned, I gave it to the people. So actually, I sit in a community center where hundreds of people are trained. On every Saturday and Sunday, I work with the people. Tomorrow, you know, around 40 young people come. That's what drives me. They are not, that's nothing to do with Oxfam. Mm-hmm. It has yeah. nothing to do with Oxfam. All the money, half of the money which I earn, Oxfam goes for feeding hungry people here. You know, distress fund. I don't take it because I don't need that much money to live. So mm. these are all the, towards the end of the day, every person is different. Some people are career driven. Some people are very good at tasks. Some people are leaders. Now, the most important thing is respect every one of them. Mm. Respect every one of them. Second thing is don't sit on judgment on the people. What Jesus said, you know, don't judge people. You know, understand where do they come from. Right. Because in organization, you need people who are task-driven, who need people who are career-driven, who need people who are mission-driven. Right? We, you need everything, everybody. You know, you, somebody who say that I'm an orchestra man, I know music. Okay. That they didn't make music. You need somebody who, who can play guitar, somebody who play violin. When you orchestrate that, then it becomes orchestra. You know, you know orchestra, but there is no man who can violin, and you need an assistant who will connect all these things. Every single person in an organization matters. Wow. Once you begin to respect that, they respect you back. Mm, I love what you said. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I this is really you really provoked uh, uh, thinking in me, and I'm sure that our our audience will uh, will also be left with lots of food for thought. So we are at time. I'm gonna pivot now very abruptly and just simply ask you, where should people go if um, they want to learn more about you, John? You know, they can go to John Samuel LinkedIn. Okay. Or they can go to the organization which I run for 35 years, Bodhigram. Bodhi means the tree under which Buddha got enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Gram mm-hmm. means community, enlightened community. Oh, nice. www.bodhigram.org. .org. 
Okay, we'll put that in the in the show notes so that people, I'm sure, who are sparked by this conversation can um, can follow up with you. Well, thank you very much, John, for this incredibly insightful conversation. It. Thank I, you. Thank you very much. I, I keep thinking about what you what you just said, and thank you, listeners, for listening in. If you found this podcast stimulating, then be sure to check out some of the other uh, episodes in my podcast. There are several other episodes about leadership in the um, NGO sector, including how to lead effectively from from a political as well as from other frames. And you can find these episodes not just on my website, fiveoaksconsulting.org with the number five, but also on my YouTube channel. Subscribe and you will always be the first in the know. We also write about leadership in our book, Between Power and Irrelevance, the Future of Transnational NGOs. If you're curious, but you're not yet ready to read to buy the book, you can access our concluding chapter for free again on my website, fiveoaksconsulting.org. And with that, this is Tosca, and I look forward to spending time with you next time on NGO Soul and Strategy. Thanks for listening to my podcast. If you valued the content, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, so that other leaders of social change organizations can find it too. And if you want to learn more, have a look at my website, fiveoaksconsulting.org, where you will find blog posts, recordings of interviews with me, as well as information about my co-authored book, Between Power and Irrelevance, the future of transnational NGOs. If you sign up for my email list, you will receive a free sneak peek at the book. Or feel free to email me at tosca at fiveoaksconsulting.org or contact me through my website and follow me on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Till we talk again at NGO Soul and Strategy the podcast for NGO leaders and managers who look change right in the eye.